everybody doing this morning? Great, good. Even better than the first crowd, but it was early. We'll give them a break. Um, I'm really excited to be with you guys this morning. Can't tell you how much our church appreciates your church and your ministry here and uh, what you guys are doing in this community and all over the state and the world and, and everything that you guys are doing, how much I appreciate Mike and Dan and Jonathan, uh, what dear friends they are to me. One of them's like family. Um, and that joke worked this morning, too. I'm glad. Yeah, you guys are you guys are alert. I like this. This is going to be a fun morning. Um, hopefully, you've got your Bibles, and if you do, I hope you open them back up to First Peter chapter 5. That's where we're going to be this morning. I was glad my wife got to be with me this morning, and, uh, uh, you know, when we got married, um, she learned something about me. I'm, I'm a sports fan. I like sports. I'm not a fanatic. I'm not one of these people that lives and dies with my sports team. It's just a game, but I enjoy it. It's a recreation of it. enjoy watching and, you know, I, I like rooting. I, I, I just, it's something that I like. My wife has negative interest in, you like, no interest in sports. It is not her thing. She couldn't care less. It's fine. I love her despite that. No, I'm just kidding. And uh, it, it's one of these things. But because she's so awesome, she decided here lately that she was like, you love this thing. You, you know, you really like it. I want to be in on it. And I want, I want to learn some stuff. And I want you to teach me kind of what's going on here so that I'm not just staring at a bunch of dudes in tight pants running all over an open field. You know, I want to know what's going on. And so I taught her, we started, I taught her all the team names and what they go with. I'm more of a professional football fan, whatever that may or may not mean to you. And um, so, you know, so now like on a Sunday, she'll say like, oh, what game's on? And I say, you know, oh, Jacksonville's playing Indy. And she's like, oh, the Jaguars and the Colts. And I'm like, oh, you've never been more beautiful than you are right now, right? It's like, I can't believe you know that. And so we'll sit down and, and we'll watch the game. And at the beginning of every game, they do this thing that I'd almost grown, you know, oblivious to, where they do these, they kind of have the keys to victory. And so the two commentators, right before the game starts, it's like they're killing time. And it's like, all right, Marv, what do the Jags have to do to win the game today? And so they start naming very obvious things that have to happen, right? It's like, well, they're really going to need to score more points than the other team, right? They're going to need to gain more yards. They're going to make sure they don't gain as many yards. They're going to not need, they don't need to make any mistakes, right, and play hard. And so when she heard that for that, she's like, well, that's, that seems pretty simple, right? You like do better than the other team, right? And I'm like, well, it's not that easy, right? Because I'm a sports fan. And then at the end of the game, they're interviewing the coach, like, coach, what went wrong? He's like, well, we didn't play as hard as the other team. Uh, they scored more points than we did. They uh, gained more yards and we lost the game. And so a lot of times you look at that and you're like, well, man, it seems so. And it is that simple. It's not that easy, right? Christian life, a lot of times I found that as I've preach, as I teach, as I disciple younger believers, uh, you know, you, you start to lay out some of the principles of the Christian life, and they go, well, that seems easy enough. And you're like, well, it's that, it's that simple, but it, it's not really that easy. But there are certain keys to victory for the Christian life. There are certain things that if we could get a grip on, really get a hold on, and if they could become a part of who we are, and not just something that we do, it would radically change our Christian experience, because then it's not just a list of things that we're doing, it's actually a life that we're living, and we'll find that we'll begin to really gain traction in the life that we're living for Christ. And here in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter, in a very small section of verses here, gives some great principles, some keys to victory that I want us to examine this morning. And the first one, if you're going to have any kind of success in your Christian life, if you're going to gain any sort of victory, any sort of momentum, the first one is this. It's found in verse 6 and verse 7. It says, remain humble. Remain humble. Look at verse 6. It says, first of all, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Now, we live in a society that is not about humility. 
humility, we, we celebrate achievement and awards. We have shops that sell trophies. We are about certificates and ribbons and promotions. And, you know, who is the best, giving awards, celebrating awards. We live in a society that celebrates people who are famous for being famous. I'm like, how do you get that job, right? I, where do you sign up for that? Because they'll pay you to get married and then watch you get married. And then you just break up like eight days later, and then they'll pay you to do it again, right? And that's the society that we live in. You know, we're about to be parents, and that's exciting and terrifying and all of this stuff together. So we've been asking friends, asking other people, like looking for advice. And what we found is we've just kind of started watching other parents because there's a lot of crazy parents in the world. And I know none of you are crazy parents, but there are crazy parents. And um, you'll talk to them, and they're like, well, I could give you advice, but our little Johnny, he's, he's gifted, right? I'm like, he's 18 months old, right? What do you mean he's gifted? Like, he likes puzzles. I don't, he, well, he's not gifted. He's picking his nose right now. You know, what do you mean he's gifted? And it's like, well, I don't, you know, our, our little Susie, she's achieving great things in the world of softball. I'm like, she plays t-ball. She's four. What, what, what do you mean great things? And it's like, and, you know, we become t-ball dads and, you know, cheerleader moms. And, you know, we're like, did you practice your violin for 48 hours today? And did you, you know, and it's, you know, A pluses aren't good enough. I want A plus pluses, you know, and listen, I'm not saying we don't strive for excellence, that we don't try to do our best, but we can become obsessed with achievement. We can become obsessed with success in our work, in, in the realm of money, in the gaining of things. We live, again, in a society in a world that celebrates those things. The more you have, so we chase and we chase and we chase and we try to gather up as much stuff and gain as many things. And, man, we're trying to keep up with the Joneses, and so we're chasing them and chasing them. And then you catch up with the Joneses and you figure out that they refinance, right? And so we live in a world that, it, listen, humility is seen as weakness, right? Humility is going to get you run over. By, by the big machine, right? Humility isn't going to get you anywhere at your job. Humility isn't going to get you ahead on the team or in school. It's about getting, gaining, going, grabbing as much as you can. But yet here, all throughout Scripture, you find God telling his people, you need to be humble. You need to remain humble. You need to stay humble. And here he says, you need to humble yourselves. And so well, why is it humble yourselves? And he says, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. If you back up one verse to verse 5, he says at the end of verse 5, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves, therefore, that under the mighty hand of God. That picture of the mighty hand of God, we understand that God is spirit. We understand that God isn't a shiny old man on a throne with a big white beard, right? But we use, he uses these images to portray things about God's character. It talks about the mighty hand of God. It talks about his sovereignty, about his authority. God is the one who is in complete control. God is the one who is reigning over eternity. He is the one that is directing what is happening. And he says, listen, under the mighty hand of God, and the reality is here, we are all going to come under the mighty hand of God, but here we get a choice of how we experience the hand of God. He says, those who are prideful, God is going to oppose you with his mighty hand. That is not a situation you want to be in. You don't want to come against God's hand in opposition because God always wins, right? God's not in the business of losing. If God opposes you and comes against you, you are going to know it. If God has to put you in your place, that is not a situation that you want to experience. But he says, if you will humble yourself, that in due time, God will exalt you. This thing's like a worm running off of my face, right? 
little caterpillars trying to escape. It hates my beard, apparently. Um, and so he says, in due time, we will be exalted. But see, the thing is, we're all about the exaltation, not really interested in the humility. But listen, the exaltation can't come without the humility because first comes the cross, then comes the crown. First, we must be tested. See, then God can trust us because we're all about gaining the high part, the, the stage of recognition and reward, but we don't want to do any of the things that is necessary to achieve that. We don't want to do the small things. We don't want to do the unseen things. We don't want to work in the hidden places. We're all about working for God as long as it's seen by people because really, ultimately, the, the sinful hearts that we have want recognition, it craves success, it enjoys the pats on the back. But God says, until you can be trusted to work in the unseen places, to do the small things, only then will I be able to trust you. But trust that I will exalt you when the time comes, but it will not be because of anything that you've done, it will be because I placed you there. So you have to remain humble. And he also says there not only we remain humble because God's going to exalt us, but we remain humble Obviously, because God cares for us. Look at verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. God doesn't want us to worry. In Matthew, you know, chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, Jesus gives this, this beautiful picture. He says, listen, don't worry. It's like, I feed birds. The birds have food. You think I'm going to let my children starve? Listen, we, I, I've clothed the lilies of the valley. I'm going to make sure that you're taken care of. Don't worry. Worry is something that Jesus commands us not to do. So that would equate worry with sin. Because when we worry, what we're saying is, God, I don't trust you. When we worry, we say, God, I'm going to have to make sure this is taken care of because I don't trust you to see me through it. Your plan isn't working, so I'm going to go out on my own and I'm going to see fit to get it done another way. And worry is a terrible testimony because we come in and we sing these songs about you being my portion and being my reward. And we've got wonderful verses about how God will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. And we have it on calendars and bumper stickers and we have it on little plates and it's hanging in our cubicle and it's on our t-shirts. But yet the lives that we live are in opposition to all the stuff that we're saying about God. And the worry and the anxiety, it's literally going, God, I appreciate the good stuff, but right now I'm suffering and I don't trust you to see me through to the other side. He's saying, listen, you can give me all your worries. You can give me all your fears because I have shoulders broad enough to bear them and I will see you through this thing. And worry, it's a pride issue, right? Because we're not willing to relinquish control and say, God, I trust that you're going to be able to do this thing. Worry says, mm, I don't think you can do it, so I'm going to make sure I'm going to get this thing done. And God's going, mm -mm, you got to practice what you preach. My promises are sure. You have to trust me, and I'm going to see you through this thing. So remaining humble is the first key there. Now, the second key we find starting in verse 8, and it's this, resist Satan. Resist Satan, starting in verse 8. Now, it says that be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Now, we have to understand we have an enemy, right? Now, when it comes to the spiritual realm, spiritual warfare, I find that people are either completely dismissive on this side, right? We just give it no thought, or you're completely obsessed in an unhealthy way, right? You're just completely like, oh, whatever, angels, demons, la -di -da, like no big deal, like none of that really matters. Or you're over here and you find demons in everything, right? Like sneezes are demons and cars stalling are demons, and the cable going out is a demon, and your kids have demons, right? Some of your kids may have demons, I don't know. 
I haven't, haven't been, I've been around some of your kids. I'm just kidding. All the ones I were around were great. But, but there's a balance, right? A healthy balance in the middle here. Listen, we live in a spirit. There's a spiritual realm. There, there is warfare going around all around us. Right? There are, there are powers at war here. It is good and evil, right? God has his plan. He has an enemy, Satan, who opposed him pridefully at the very beginning, and he has warring, he's warring against him to this day, trying to bring an end, doing everything he can. Now, he's not going to win. We've been promised victory. But until the time that Jesus comes to squash evil once and for all, at the end of this thing, we are at war against the enemy. We have an enemy, and his name is Satan. The devil is real. And he's not, listen, he's not the little cutesy Halloween, little man, red tights, horns, right, tail, pitchfork, dancing in, in little cartoon flames. He's a serpent. He's an angel of light. He's powerful. Here he's portrayed as a lion. Do you understand that the devil, his purpose isn't to aggravate you. It's not to bring some uncomfortable moments into your life. He wants to kill you. It tells us in John chapter 10, right, that, that we have an enemy. He's a thief. He's come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. His plan is to bring, to rip your family apart, to shred your reputation, to explode your integrity. He wants to tear everything that you are about in terms of your relationship with God to shreds. And so there's a couple things here we have to understand about him. First thing here, he says, be sober-minded. I mean, know what you're dealing with. Respect him. Now, this isn't that we respect him in any sort of honor, but it's respecting his ability. It's respecting the danger that is there, right? And we see stuff like this happen all the time. Remember Siegfried and Roy, right? If you don't know who these two guys are, two very small men with sparkly outfits who make tigers jump through hoops. This is their deal. They have a show in Las Vegas. And so for years, these guys have made tigers jump through hoops and stand up, and people have gone and paid great money to go, look at that tiger jump through that hoop. It was amazing. But one day, several years ago, Roy, like one of the tigers, wasn't obeying. And so Roy bangs the tiger on the nose, right? And the tiger remembers, I'm a giant tiger, right? Says, I'm sick of getting popped on the nose by the guy in the sparkle, right? Says, that's enough of that. Bites him and drags him away, attacks him. Everybody's like, I can't believe that tiger would do that to him. It's a tiger, right? We've forgotten it's a giant, wild tiger. Right? You see on the news, person attacked in their home by their giant 20-foot snake. Giant 20-foot snake, right? It's going to bite you. You, you, you. The people are in shock when, on the new, when, when some knucklehead falls into a cage at the zoo, right? And the animal goes after them. They were attacked. No, the only way that's an attack is if that lion comes to your house and knocks on the door and comes in your house and attacks you there. You went into his house, right? And it bit you. Now, I'm not saying that's fun or funny, but listen, there's an understanding here. They're wild animals. That we can only hope to contain them, right? We, we, you, you stand no chance. That's why we put them in cages. That's why we protect ourselves from them. That's why at some point people do these things and they have to turn these pets loose because they're not pets anymore. I told your students this this summer, folks. Sin, it's a, it is not a pet to be tamed. It is a beast to be slain. Let me say that one more time. Sin is not a pet to be tamed. It is a beast to be slain. You stand no chance against the devil. 
We are never called to oppose him. We are called to resist him and flee from him because he will eat your lunch. It is mind-boggling to me, even in my own personal life, why the bent in me is to participate. I've heard it said this way. Listen, to participate in all the things that Jesus came to eradicate. Jesus died because of and for sin to free us from sin, to forgive us from sin, to liberate us from sin. So we gain freedom from sin and now feel like we have some sort of liberty that now we get to, without consequence, participate in sin. And they, they stand completely opposed in Scripture. You can't have it both ways. Listen, most... Most of the problems in our life can be attributed to the sin in our life. And it really goes back to the first key principle, humility, because, listen, pride is the garden where all these sins grow because we think we can handle it. Listen, I, I can control it. I can control its effects on me. I, I, can, I can keep it in check. Listen, I can watch that. I can determine what effect it's going to have on me. I can listen to that. I can determine what effect that's going to have on me. I can put a controlled amount of this substance into my body because I can control what effect it has on me. And you're like, oh, here we go. You're, one of the, you're, you're the legalistic guy, right? It's not about legalism. It's about holiness. It's about God calling us out to be a sanctified people separate from the ways of this world. God understanding and telling us and trying to save us from the fact that sin does nothing but breed and, and create and reap destruction in you. Sin never satisfies. And yet we chase and pursue ungodly things and wonder why in our relationship with God, we have no victory, no momentum, no traction. It's because we're filling ourselves with the things that are against God and then wondering why we have no relationship with God. So listen, know who you're dealing with. You can't beat him. You don't want to play his game. And it's cute. And you're like, oh, but it's just my cute little pet sin. Look how cute he is. Right? He's not hurting anybody. Don't you want to pet it? No, it's going to bite me, right? It's going to hurt. It's going to kill you. You've got to stop messing with it. So he says, be sober-minded. He says, be watchful. Listen, you've got to be able to recognize him. Listen, the, the devil, he's a counterfeiter. The, it says that he's a deceiver in Scripture. What he does is he wants to take the true things of God and twist them into a harmful substitute. What he wants to do is he wants to make it look just enough like the things of God without being the things of God. He wants to make his error look just enough like truth that we will grasp onto it and abandon truth for that error. And he's saying, no, you, you, you've got to be careful, be watchful. You know that people who handle counterfeit money, they don't teach those people who are experts on counterfeit money. They don't teach them to be experts by having them handle all the different kinds of counterfeit currency. They don't go, well, here's this kind of counterfeit. They make them handle the real thing over and over and over and over and over and over to where the first time they touch something that's not the genuine article, it's like it sets off this sensory alarm. Whoa, 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 whoa that's not the real thing. You say, well, how do I avoid error? How do I recognize the lies? You handle the truth. You handle the truth. We, we, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I'm testing what I hear against scripture so that I know that it's truth, that it matches up with God's word. Listen, if we are not pouring the truth into our lives, 
We are leaving ourselves open to be deceived. And God's given us everything that we need in terms of truth. Listen, everything God wants you to know about him, he's put here in his word, right here in this book. And yet, it's a last resort. It's the thing we run to when things are falling apart. It's never the first thing that we pour into ourselves. And so he's saying you've got to be watchful. Listen, but ultimately, he says, resist him. Resist him. How do we resist? He says, being firm in your faith through God's word and through prayer. Now, this is where, again, it's simple, but it's not easy. Because everybody wants, you're like, I'm having, I have such a hard time studying the word of God. Do you have something that, you know, what will make it easy? You just have to do it. You have to do it. You have to digest it. You have to chew it. You, you have to get in there and do it. And listen, I'm not going to get up here and be so arrogant and fake with you to tell you that it's easy all the time. It's not. I think one of the biggest mistakes we've made in terms of preaching and teaching is we're just like, get out there and do it. And like, I want to, but how? Right? It's like, you know, it's giving all this, what do I do with it? Listen, prayer's not easy for me all the time. I don't know about you. You may be, listen, some people are gifted, intercessory, prayer warriors. I struggle in my, I struggle praying sometimes. Have you ever been, I don't know about you, there's been times like I've waited too late at night to pray and I fell asleep praying. Some of you, okay, don't act so holy. Some of you are nodding, right? You're like, I've been there, man. You wake up scared about three in the morning, right? Like, I'm sorry, Lord. I'll never do that again. Please forgive me, right? I've had those moments where for five days, I feel like I'm praying the same thing over and over and over again, right? And you realize, this can't be right. This can't be pleasing to God. The mornings I get up and I go through and I read, listen, I, I read a chapter of this and I go, I get to the end of it and go, what? What did, what did I just read? But I've had to get to the point in my life that it became a discipline. And what I've done is, is as I've fallen in love with Christ, that's happened because I've fallen in love with his word. And as I've studied it and as I've read it and as I've learned to conversate and pray and realize that I don't have to pray perfectly, I just have to pray genuinely and sincerely according to the word of God. And as I do it more and more, I'm getting to the place in my life where I'm not remembering to do it. I'm remembering that I forgot to do it. And it comes with practice, right? It's like one of those things where little kids are funny. We got friends that have little kids and little kids i don't get this totally little kids hate clothes now i'm not trying to be inappropriate understand but like little kids they'll just come running out of the bathroom right like after bath time and then there's this panicked parent like put a towel on like do some clothes and so it's like you need to go put some clothes on oh okay you grow out of that eventually right why because every single day the parent's going you need to put some clothes on okay okay and they go in and eventually the kid comes down and they just do it themselves right Thankfully, that, that didn't happen here this morning. That'd be awkward for everyone, right? Nobody, nobody, none of us are at the point anymore in our life where we leave the house and we're like, oh, wait a minute. I knew I forgot something, right? Because every day, man, we're, we're getting dressed. I've had, to, I've had to look at God's word in my prayer life the same way, that spiritually I'm getting dressed, getting prepared for battle. I'm getting prepared to leave the house. And listen, I do have a moment every now and then where I'm in the car and I'm on the way to work and I'm like, who need to make sure when I get to work, I get dressed, right? I need to take a moment and make sure. 
But, listen, it's come through discipline. It's come through continually being in prayer. It's become from investing God's word in my life because what I found is, holy moly, the more I'm reading God's word, I'm like, man, that applies to me. You know, it's, it's almost shocking to me sometimes. Like, God, God, you won't believe that's exactly what I'm dealing with. Like, I know, right? I wrote it for you. I'm praying and I'm like, God, you totally answered that prayer that I prayed this morning. That was awesome. He's like, I know, that's what I do, right? I hear your prayers. I'm here to guide you. I'm here to convict you. But when I'm not hearing and I'm not experiencing, that's when I go and I'm like, oh, yeah, I wasn't in this. I wasn't hearing that. That's when I find myself again falling back into the first thing, pride. And then I find myself involved in all kind of nonsense that's going to lead nothing but to destruction. So we have to resist. We have to recognize, listen, the devil wants to shut you down. He wants to kill you. We're never called to oppose him. We resist him. We flee from him. And we do it through the power of Christ. But because we have this enemy who's warring against us, that's raging against us, what do we do? Because suffering's going to come. Trials are going to come. Tribulations are going to come. And he tells them here, and that it's really the third key. So we have remain humble, and we have resist Satan. And the third thing is this, receive suffering. You're like, well, that's no fun. Receive suffering. It says there at the end of verse 9, he says, listen, he's, he's, he's resist him firm in the faith. Listen, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Now, you understand that this was written to a group of believers, the early church, and man, they are being persecuted. It is raging against them. They are being crucified. They are being killed. They are being strung up for their faith. They are, you know, homes are being burned. They are in the middle of some tough stuff. And we do have to get to the point where we, we begin to really understand. We need to put our suffering in perspective sometimes. That what we call suffering anyway, right? Because a lot of times we're, you know, like, you know, they moved my cubicle at work, and I know it's because I play Christian music out of my computer. That's maybe, and that's tough, man, and, and I'm sorry, but I don't know how much we're suffering, right? I'm being persecuted at work. They took Doritos out of the snack machine, and they knew that my favorite was Doritos, and I think it's only because I'm a Christian they took the Doritos out. That's not the cross you bear, right? Somebody popped a Jesus fish off my car at the mall. They did it because of the Lord. Yeah, maybe, but listen, could be a lot worse. You know, people are dying all over the world, right? That, that as we speak, there are missionaries, there are believers, there are people all over this planet that are literally dying for their faith. And sometimes we like to heap on the, oh, woe is me, when, hey man, sometimes it's just life. But there is suffering. And some of you are here and you're in the middle of it. You're in the thick of it. She walked out. She left you and the kids. She's not coming back. And now you're looking for answers. She walked out. He walked out. You've got a kid. They're a prodigal. They're gone. You don't know where they are. You lay up in bed at night praying that God would just keep them safe until they come to themselves and realize their need. You don't know how you're going to pay for dinner tomorrow. You've got enough for today, but you don't have enough for tomorrow. There is real suffering. There are real problems. There are real trials. There are real tribulations. So what do we do? Do we quit? Do we take off running? And here he's saying, you know, no, 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 no. Understanding 
Listen, knowing the same kinds of suffering are being experienced. Listen, we're in this thing together. We're fighting this thing. I think it's funny that we avoid a lot of the hard parts of the Bible a lot of the time. I was at the Christian bookstore not long ago, and I noticed that it's like the same five verses on everything, right, that they're selling, all the paraphernalia, right? We got a lot of Philippians 4.13, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. A lot of John 10.10, 10, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. Yay! He's my shepherd. Woohoo! He is, you know, he is my strength. He is my rock. He is my portion forever. Yes! I, I didn't see any pillows cross-stitched with Acts 14.22, right? Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God, right? There were none. No blankets. Nothing. No t-shirts with 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Right? Nobody's wearing that. No bumper stickers with John 15.20. Remember the world. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So I'm just telling you, if you're across, there's a whole market being this that you could really get in at the flea market. And, you know, maybe there's somebody out there that wants it. But we, we tend... We like the fun stuff. We tend to avoid the harsh reality of the fact that, you know, Jesus said it's going to be tough. Suffering is a reality. Persecution is a reality. And part of what he's doing there is he's shaping us. He's shaping the pride out of us. He's shaping the sin out of us. He's shaping us through those hardships because you know what hardships do to me? They bring me to my knees. They bring me to the end of myself. They bring me to a point where I'm looking for help in the only place that I know I can find it, and that's in Christ. And so instead of resisting these temptations, instead of running from them, we've got to start going, you know what, this is coming to my life for a reason. Listen, first of all, it may be because of the sin in my life, and I need to repent of that and get it right. But if I know I'm walking in accordance with God's will, this suffering and this tribulation is here for a reason. There's something God is going to teach me in this moment. There's a lesson that is going to be learned, and he is going to see me through to the other side, either in this life or in eternity. And God is going to receive the glory from it, so I'm going to accept it, and I'm going to receive it because it is good because it is from him and when we get to the point that we can start seeing our suffering as good when it's from God it will change the way that we walk through those experiences because now God's getting the glory and I'm not just getting the grief and so listen when that suffering comes don't fight it don't run now I'm not saying go looking for trouble right don't be crazy right don't like I want a hardship like where is it no like but when it comes no, hey man, this is God's purpose plan for me in this moment. And so we receive suffering. And finally, maybe most, remain hopeful. Fourth key, remain hopeful. Look there at verse 10. It says, and after you have suffered a little while. You understand that life is short, right? That in the grand scheme of things, when we look at eternity, from beginning to end, which God reigns over, we are blips on the screen, Right? We are just a flash in the pan. And so in God's, God's perspective, he's going, listen, yeah, you've suffered a little while. And listen, after that suffering's come, because listen, suffering is only going to end when this life ends, right? There's no magic formula. There's no avoiding it. It's a broken world. It's coming. So he says, listen, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, listen, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore now, there's four things that he does here. First one, real quick, restore. That word means to perfect. It means he's putting all the parts back in right relation. We live in a broken world. You and I are broken by sin. 
but God is sanctifying us and he's putting the pieces back together. And he is painting this beautiful picture that we haven't seen the end product of yet. I, I referenced cross-stitching right there a second ago on a pillow. I wasn't making fun. I love cross-stitching. Um, I have a, a grandmother who cross-stitched, and I don't, it seems hard. And I'm talking about like the old school, you peel the little fabric over the wooden hoop and screw the little thing tight and then follow the little pattern. I'm like, I don't have patience for that. I can barely draw stick man. I'm not going to one-time, you know, but what's amazing about those, have you ever flipped one of those things over and looked at it? a royal mess right it's just knots and strings it doesn't look like anything but like i did it right it's like look what i did you know just a big mess of nothing what's amazing is you flip that thing over and it's this unbelievable beautiful picture that when done correctly it just paints this beautiful picture and sometimes we got to look at life like this right here's eternity laying out like this and you and i are on this side of eternity right and stuff that makes sense. It's just this big jumbled mess of knots and frayed strings and hurt and heartache and trouble and suffering and tribulation and trial. And it isn't coming together. But see, on the other side of eternity stands God seeing the entire picture, his plan that's been laid out from all of eternity. And he sees how the beginning fits with the end. And he sees where you fit into the picture. And he understands how the knots and the tangles in your life how you don't see it quite yet, but man, he sees the whole picture. He sees how it's coming together. And so in faith, I'm on the other side going, God, I don't know why this knot's here. I don't know why this string's dangling. I don't know why these pieces don't seem to fit yet, but I'm trusting knowing that when all is said and done, you are going to piece this whole thing back together because you're painting a beautiful picture in eternity, a redemptive plan that is going to bring all glory to you. And God, I'm just happy to be a part of it. And so we stop viewing them as mistakes and just start realizing, man, this is part of the picture. So he's going to restore us. He's going to confirm us. That word there means to reinforce in concrete, really just to set us in firm. It's the idea in James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, where he says, you know, flee from Satan, resist him. He says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. The closer we are to him, the more concrete we are understanding what it is that he's shaping in us. He says, I'm going to strengthen you. It's the only time that word in the Greek is used in the entire New Testament. And it literally means to be filled with strength, like to be filled up, to be filled with it. And it's this picture that God's going to give us exactly what we need to overcome. I can't overcome Satan on my own. That's why apart from Christ, there is nothing that we can do to live this life, to accomplish God's purposes. We are going to be a wreck apart from Christ. But in Christ, he fills me with the strength I need to face the temptation, the trial, the stuff that's out before me. And he's going to give me the strength to stand firm as he's putting the pieces back together. And those three things all together give us the fourth one where he says, and I'm going to establish you, which means he's going to settle us. It's a picture of a foundation settling. It's a peace. It's a calm. It's the picture of Jesus in the boat asleep while the storm's raging because he understands it's all in control because he's controlling it. And so it's this steadiness. And listen, we get to the end of all of these things. You say, I want to get to the point where I'm steady, where I'm not blown by every wind, where every tribulation doesn't knock me off the pedestal so I have to be thrown back up there again. How do I get to that point? And we walk ourselves backwards through it. Are you resisting Satan? How have you handled the suffering? Have you remained humble? Or is pride creeping back in? 
Because, folks, what's amazing when I sit and I watch those football games and, and the silliness that is a game, you realize that all of the keys that they give, they're all really tied together. That, you know, once one falls apart, the, whole, the wheels kind of come off the whole thing. And a lot of times for me, the Christian life, when I look at these keys, they, they, they all fit together. I really can't have one without the other. I can't resist Satan without remaining humble. I can't receive the suffering if I'm just swimming in the sin, right? I can't remain hopeful if I don't see why the picture is being painted out the way that it is in the first place. So if you find yourself going, man, I'm not to the end yet. I don't have peace yet. We need to go back and examine the pieces and figure out where we've left God out. So with every head bowed and every eye closed,